This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. We've been in a series called Authentic, Putting Your Faith to the Test. What we found is that there's a lot of people that don't know what they believe. First John is written because there were some people that were doubting what they believed. Some Gnostics had risen up, and the Gnostics were saying that um, the spirit is good, but the, the Adamic man, the flesh, is bad. So that Jesus Christ, when he came fully God and fully man in the flesh, they were saying that they can, he cannot be truly fully God because flesh is bad and he came in the flesh. So therefore, they were denying the deity of Jesus Christ. And John pens the epistle of 1 John to refute that. The enemy, all he needs to do is to plant a seed of doubt in our minds. I remember going through this in 1996, someone came and just dropped a seed of doubt concerning what I believed. I was a new believer at the time and I wrestled with the Lord. Are you real? Are you true? It was a Muslim woman and she began to um, have me doubt what this word says. You know what, that's what the enemy does, right? He says to Eve, did God truly say? He doesn't have to come out and purely deny it. He just gets you to say, hmm. And you sit and couch at that doubt for too long. And you begin to disbelieve God and eventually walk away from God. And John wanted to make sure that the believers in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, was not walking through this level of doubt. Putting your faith to the test. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he exhorts the church in Corinth to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. John, in his epistle, he comes to identify some markers for us by which we are to examine ourselves by these markers. And Pastor Tom mentioned that throughout this series, John has been hovering over three main themes throughout John's writing. Three main things that John wants us to know, that those who are in the faith, those who are walking in Christ, this must indwell them. They must walk in truth, they must walk in obedience, and they must walk in love. John keeps hammering this point to the believers that he's writing to, and it's true for us today. We have to understand that if we have placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there must be evidences in our lives that we have truly placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of a story of a man who was late to give a presentation on the job, and he was given a presentation before um, dignitaries and people that flew in from other countries and so forth. And on his way there, he gets to the, do the presentation on this job, he gets there late. By the time he gets there, everyone that was waiting for him to give his presentation was already gone. And the boss is livid. The owner of the company's livid. These were big cases for this man. And he asked the man, what were you thinking? And he said, boss, you got to listen to what happened to me. He said, I was on my way here. And while I'm driving here, I get a flat tire. I stopped to change the flat tire. In the middle of me changing this flat tire, a Mack 
truck, an 18-wheeler comes and drives right into me. I have a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler. Then after that, someone gives me a, 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 a drive here, and here I am. That's why I'm late. The boss is livid. Are you kidding me? You mean to tell me you had a head-on collision, you a human, with an 18-wheeler, and your clothes don't look disheveled? Your hair still looks in place? You don't have a broken bone? If you had a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler, I would see evidences that you came into collision with something bigger than you. John is saying, if you had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ, if you had an encounter with Jesus Christ, I would see evidences in your life that you came in full contact with this man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is greater than an 18-wheeler, and we should have demonstration that we have encountered him. This is why John is penning this letter. Where is your demonstration? Suit up. Take your position. Take your place as a follower of Christ. We've been talking about, are you really in the faith? <laughs> now, when I speak of, are you in the faith, I'm not talking about, have you said the Apostles' Creed? I'm not talking about that you know the Lord's Prayer. I'm not talking about that you know Psalm 23. That you can know all of those things and you still not be in the faith. I'm not talking about if you were raised in the church. I'm not talking about if you serve every Sunday, you attend church every Sunday. When I speak about are you in the faith, I'm talking about do you know him? Have you placed faith, hope, and trust in the man Jesus? Not just part of him, not that he was a good prophet, not that he was a good man. No, the full deity of Jesus Christ, the sinless one, the resurrected one, the one who died yesterday and he rose on the third day so that you and I might have life. Have you placed your faith and trust, CLC, in that Jesus? Oh, we're not going to get a lot today. I see that already, but that's all right because truth is gonna be preached from this pulpit as it is every single Sunday. And we're gonna walk out of here knowing what we believe, why we believe it, and evidences of it that should be in our lives. Jesus, the messianic one, the perfect atonement one, the sinless human, have you put your trust in him? I'm talking about the biblical Christ. If you haven't put your trust in the biblical Christ, you haven't put your trust in Christ at all. That's what John is saying to us. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we believe? Week one, Pastor Tom talked about their evidence that we believe we should have, we should walk in forgiveness. Week two, we talked about we should walk in obedience. Week three, you're not a lover of the world if you place faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Week four, you should have a lifestyle of holiness. And then week five, you should demonstrate love toward others. Today, we put an exclamation point on this series. We're going to talk about today an evidence that is also an assurance. So that's why I titled this message today, Walking in Assurance. Let's start with 1 John 3, verses 19 to 22, and we'll get started. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, 
if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for your word. It is true. If one doesn't believe in it, doesn't stop it from being truth. I pray that the word of God will permeate and saturate our hearts, those in this room and those that are watching over the airways. I pray that it will pierce us, Lord God. I pray that it will cause us to examine ourselves, to look in the mirror of your word, to see if we are fully in alignment with the truth we say we believe. And if we're out of alignment, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be, we will be led of the Holy Spirit to come into full alignment with your truth. Lord, I pray that today, at the end of this message, we will walk out of here knowing we are victorious in Jesus Christ, that we have assurance in Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, let your word come forward with power and demonstration in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. If you are in the faith, John says, there's an assurance that is made available to us. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about a few of them this morning. Assurance number one, first assurance, is an assurance of a peace-filled heart. Verse 19 says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. The one who is in Christ enjoys the benefit of peace. There's an assurance embedded in that person's heart because of truth they have received. However, there's a great threat to the truth and our assurance, and that is guilt and condemnation. It comes to rob us of our assurance, of our belief. Nowhere is this more important than in regards to our salvation. Guilt and condemnation lurks at every corner to get us to doubt our salvation, to have us wondering, am I truly in the faith? Have I truly been saved? Is even salvation even available to a person like me? As I told you, in 1997, I wrestled with that because of one thing that the enemy planted in my mind. He will use even our conscience to get us to doubt and have an unbelief. Your conscience is referred to also in the Bible as your heart. It is the place where you have your inner reasoning, conviction, your will. Every human being has a conscience. Our conscience, though, is important that we know it is not the voice of God. It is subject to fallibility. Is subject to flaws. It is still a human component when not fully aligned with the cooperating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are a few things that will come and lure our conscience into condemnation so our conscience or our hearts begins to condemn us. One of those things is Satan. According to Revelation 12:10, he accuses the brethren. He will cause your conscience to accuse you of things that God is not holding against you. Another thing that lures our conscience into condemnation is our upbringing. We who were raised and how we're raised and the culture in which we were raised in can shape our conscience. Our religiosity, legalism, it's an outward doing to try to gain eternal merits. 
It's based on religious upbringing. Our conscience may tell us we have done things or we have to do things in order to get more of God's love. And so when we don't fast right, when we don't read the scriptures enough, when we don't pray enough, we think that God loves us less because we're pursuing spiritual perfection to earn God's love. These things, among other things, cause our conscience to lead us into condemnation. What is condemnation? Condemnation is a judicial pronouncement of guilt. It is for crimes committed, maybe a sin that is committed. The judge brings down the gavel and renders you guilty. If your heart or your conscience declares you guilty, for some people, this is an enormous weight. They go into feelings of constant fear, constant terror, even suicidal thoughts can plague a person's mind because of condemnation. But Jesus said, I have not come to condemn. He said, in this world, he, we, he did not come to condemn anyone, but that the world through him might be saved. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? And they had the stones, and Jesus is kneeling down, and he looks up at her, he says, where are your condemners? And she said, they're gone. He said, neither do I condemn you. The woman at the well who had a questionable lifestyle, he did not condemn her. Peter, after he denied Jesus, neither was he condemned. Here's the thing, when condemnation rears his head, we have to know that we have placed hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have peace because God knows all things, the scripture says. And in the greatness of his knowledge, he offers us freedom from condemnation. In Romans 8, 1, Paul says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The theologian Charles Spurgeon says, sometimes our heart condemns us, but in so doing, it gives a wrong verdict, and then we have the satisfaction of being able to take the case to a higher court. That is God, and he knows all things. I'm trying to set something up, because our belief must rest on God's truth. It's not that I'm walking on a thin piece of glass across an icy lake. Me walking on, I could have faith to walk across that glass on an icy lake. It's what I put my faith in. It's even if the ice is, is thin, if that ice represents Christ, I have, I have assurance that I'm gonna get across that icy lake. We have to know who we have placed our trust in. Our God is greater than our hearts. So our hearts may rightly condemn us, blame us, judge us for not doing right. But God says, I'm greater than your heart. And so he reminds us we cannot put our hope in our feelings to represent our relationship with him. So when we fail, when we mess up, what we want to do is run from God because we think he's done with us. But God says, I'm not like you. My heart is not like yours. My love for you is unconditional, even when your heart condemns us. When our heart condemns us, we must rest on the basis of our assurance in Christ and not our feelings. Dio Moody, the famous evangelist and author from the 1800s, a man once told Dio Moody that he was worried because he didn't feel saved. Moody asked, was Noah's ark, was it safe? Certainly, the man replied. Well, what made him safe? His feelings are the ark. The point is, if you're in Christ, it's not your feelings that saves you from God's judgment. It's Christ who 
who saves you. Faith puts you on the ark. Make sure you are on board the ark because that's where you will find assurance of the safety you have in Jesus Christ. Those in Christ know they are of the truth. They walk in God's assurance. They walk in God's hope. They walk in God's truth. And this, John says, is the thrust of the matter. If you know that you are God's child, you put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then even when your heart condemns you, even when your heart fails you, God justifies you. He cleanses you as if you have never sinned. All we have to do is confess it, repent of it, and move forward in his grace. So what do we do when our heart and our, our conscience accuses us? If it is sin, confess and repent it. Turn it over to the Lord. If you're having a condemning thought, we have to cast down every imagination that exalteth itself against the knowledge of Christ. We have to place whatever it is that we're dealing with under the blood of Jesus Christ. Claim the blood over the accusation. We have to recognize the fault of our sins and claim the blood over it. We have to turn our failure to the power of the cross. And this is what gives us peace and assurance. The next thing after we have a peace-filled heart is that we have to know that we have assurance in our confidence before God. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. When we have an assurance of peace, that assurance leads to confidence. A Roman emperor was parading through the streets of the capital in a victory celebration. The Roman soldiers lined the parade route to keep the cheering crowds from getting to this emperor. At one point along the route, there was a small platform by which the, Rome, the, the emperor's family was sitting on. As the emperor approached, a little boy jumped down, burrowed through the crowd, and tried to run out to meet the emperor. One of the guards caught the boy by the arm and said, what are you doing? You can't do that. Don't you know who that is? That's the emperor. The little boy quickly replied, he may be your emperor, but he is my father. We have to know that we have confidence to go before God because why? He's my father. I can go before him. John wants us to know that we have confidence as children of God. What is confidence? It's Parisian. It means boldness, freedom of speech. It speaks of the confidence as a child approaches their father, that they know that that father loves them deeply. Confidence is based on God's love, saints of God. There are a lot of fears concerning God. People have a misunderstanding of who God is. We often see God's love through our own human experiences and we think God's ability to love us is based on our ability to love others, but God's love is unconditional. There is no love without God. God is love, and his love is greater than our human limitation. Nothing in all creation, Paul says, can separate us from the love of God. He will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and we have confidence in his love. Confidence is also based on an obedient life. Because we love him, we respond to his love with love. And love is shown by our obedience to the one we say we love. In him in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. When we're walking in obedience, there's an assurance, there's a security. Fear has no loom on us because we know that we're upright before God. So the believer can enter into his presence because of this assurance that we have. We also have an assurance that he hears our prayers. 
So we have an assurance that we, have, we can go before his presence confidently, but we also know that he hears our prayers. 1 John 3, says, and whatever we ask, receive from him, we ask, we receive from him, excuse me, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. When I'm confident before God, it naturally leads to my prayers that I ask boldly. 1 John 14 to 15 says, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and he will answer us according to our petitions. Whatever it says here is all inclusive. Whatever I ask, what do you mean whatever? Once I'm in him with proximity, there's a relationship there, then I'm going to ask according to his heart because my heart is aligned with his heart. So his desires become my desires. His will become my will. So when I'm in prayer, I'm praying according to his will. But we have to have proximity. We have to have fellowship. We have to be abiding in Christ Jesus. The person who walks in obedience, love, John says, will also experience answered prayer. This is why John said in, in Gospel John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, you will ask anything and it shall be done for you. The key to answered prayer is fellowship. God wants our heart. He wants his agenda to become our agenda. His will to become our will. I remember when I first got saved, no, I wasn't saved yet. There was a lady that was witnessing to me at the time. And I said, well, what do I have to change? She said, darling, when you come in contact with Jesus, no one will have to tell you to change anything. His heart will become your heart. His will will become your will. His desires for you will become your desires for you. No one has to tell you how to dress, how to look, how to speak, or none of that. The Holy Spirit sanctifies you on the inside and puts you in right alignment. We're talking about those that are in the faith. Their lives is fully yielded unto the Lord. This is alignment and it's partnership with God and it's a powerful divine exchange that happens to the, the person who believes in the Lord. And then finally, this is where I want to park. Assurance that we get is not just answered prayers and not just confidence that we have to go before God. And all of those is great, but there, it falls underneath one, one umbrella. And it's confidence or assurance of our victory in our Christian experience. Having victory, this is the key. We have a lot of Christians that are walking around defeated. They, they confess it in the service. They sing the songs in the service. But they live defeated lives. They're not walking in victory in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make them unchristian, it just makes them a defeated one. And God wants the believer, he wants his sons and daughters to walk in absolute victory. Why? Because he's victory. He's victorious. Pastor Kevin said it earlier, we, we don't have to ask God for victory, we fight from victory. Victory is already ours. But we're walking around defeated. First John 5, 2 to 5 says, by this we know. That we, love the, that, we, that we love the children of God 
When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith overcomes the world because we are born of God. Without the new birth, without putting faith in the working of Jesus Christ, we cannot overcome this world. Our human effort cannot overcome this world. Our human strive cannot overcome this world. There's only one that can overcome this world, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why we place faith and trust in him. And when we place faith and trust in him, his victory becomes our victory. The enemy that's under his feet becomes the enemy that's under our feet. But we must put our hope, our faith, our trust in him so we can be, oh, we're going to get into it right now. We're going to get into it now. That's great news because he extends his victory over the world to us. And by faith, we apply the victory to our experiences. John lays the foundation for us in this. Jesus said, in this world, there will be trouble. Remember that? But be of good cheer. Why should I be of good cheer if in this world there will be trouble? He says, because I, because I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. John stresses the fact that the believer only overcomes in Christ. And in the end, the saints will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So every church in Revelation that John pens, he says that there is a promise to he who overcomes. He then makes it a truth to the person. Three times John mentions overcoming the world. The world refers to the evil organized system under Satan's dominion that opposes God and his purposes for your life and for my life. But victory came through Jesus Christ when he died and raised from the dead. He overcame Satan. He overcame death. He overcame sin. One single victory has settled it for all eternity. When we accept Christ as Lord in our lives, his victory become ours. So he allows us to overcome the world once and for all. What does overcome mean, Pastor Nadine? It comes from the Greek word nikeo. What sneaker brand do you think this word comes from? Nike, yes. Nike is the English word for the Greek word, nikeo. It means to overcome. It means to prevail, to win one's cause, to be victorious in difficult situations, to get through what I'm going through. It says that anything that has a hold on you is illegitimate. It cannot have a hold. Oh, come on. So that thing that you're going through, you got to realize it's illegitimate. You have no power here. You have no legal rights here because I am an overcomer. Somebody say overcome. I am an overcomer. The key to being victorious or an overcomer. Man, we got 10 minutes left. Jesus, help us. Thank you. Somebody over here. Come on. The key, whoo, mm, Jesus, help us, Lord. Why aren't we overcoming, Lord? Why are saints not overcoming? If you told us that we are overcomers, and you say if we're in you, then our overcoming ability is based on the legal work, the legal standings that you have already given us, then why aren't we as Christians, as believers, living in, don't you want to know that? Why? The 
key to being victorious is found in Revelation 1. We have to see Jesus differently. You see, I think, oh, all right, hold on. That's, what, what does Revelation 1 says? Can I read it for y'all? All right, yes, I'm gonna read it. Revelation chapter 1, I'm gonna start in verse 10. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Then I turned, verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth ooh, came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength John said when I saw him I fell at his feet like a dead man fear not I am the first and the last the living one I died and behold I am alive forevermore I have the keys of death and Hades see John remember John is the same one who wrote the gospel he was with Jesus at the transfiguration. He was with Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. He's seen Jesus healed. He's seen Jesus open blinded eyes, make the lame to walk. He's seen Jesus take a multitude, a, a 12, 12 of seven loaves and, and five fish or whatever, and feeds a multitude, 5,000, 3,000 people. He's seen this, but this is the first time that John is seeing Jesus, not just as a provider, not just as a healer, not just as a savior, but he's seen him as a conqueror with fire in his eyes, with a sash around his waist, with a sword coming out of his mouth. He seeing Jesus as the resurrected victorious one. We need to see Jesus the way John saw Jesus. He's not in a manger meek and mild. He's not a baby in a manger. He's the resurrected one full of glory, full of power and he says, I have victory and because I have victory, I have given you victory. Can somebody say amen? We got to get a right understanding of the Jesus we serve. He's no longer in the manger, people of God. He's in heaven. John said, when I saw him, I fell like a dead man. This was Jesus that he used to be with day in and day out. But he fell like a dead man. He saw the lion of Judah. Colossians 2.15 tells us that this same Jesus disarmed the rulers of this present age. Here's what Colossians says. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, those supernatural evil forces opposing us, he made Jesus a public spectacle of them, exhibiting them as captives in triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. Satan doesn't want us to understand who we serve because once we understand our identity as sons and daughters of God, we operate from that place as sons and daughters of God, but we're eating the crumbs off the floor when God has set a table before us. We're walking around defeated when we serve the one with fire in his eyes, whose voice sounds like thunder, who speaks like a trumpet. That is the God that we serve. But he blinds us, the enemy, from understanding our victory in Christ Jesus.
Jesus, let me tell you how this works. You see, if you pull a gun out on me, don't, don't, please. <laughs> if you pull out a gun on me, you have the upper hand. So you can tell me to sit, guess what I'm gonna do? Sit. You tell me to stand up, I'm gonna stand. Tell me to move here, I'm gonna move there. Tell me to go there, I'm gonna go there. But if I ever find out that there were no bullets in that gun, it's on. We're gonna take off this jacket, take off my earrings, put some grease on, because it's on. Because you have been deceiving me into thinking your bullets was full of ammunition. The enemy has some people deceived into thinking his gun is full of ammunition. But Colossians says he has disarmed the, oh, come on, church. He has disarmed the enemy. He made a public spectacle of him, a prayer triumph over him. But he has us believing. He says the legal ordinances, oof, come on somebody, Lord help us. The legal ordinances that were written against us was nailed to the cross. These things that the enemy had rightful position over us concerning was nailed to the cross. Okay, Pastor Nadine, so what does that mean? He was punished that we might be forgiven. He was bruised that we might be healed. He was made sin that we might be made righteous. His death gave us life. He became a curse so we can have the blessings. He bore our shame so we can share his glory. He was rejected that we might be accepted. The old man was put to death so that the new man can come alive in us. That's the good news and that's the victory for every believer in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? So who are the overcomers? Since he says I am an overcomer, who are actually the overcomers? Mm -hmm. Any and all who, born, who are born of God. They believe Jesus is the son of God. They have placed faith and hope and trust in him. Salvation is a living power. It's the present and power of divine life that makes men and women overcomers. Yes, this is a work of God, but we're called to exercise it by faith, to make Christ's victory our reality. That's why the Bible says we must work out our salvation. We must walk it out. We must speak it out. We must live it out. We must walk in this truth, believe this truth, speak this truth, and live this truth. What are we overcoming? If I am an overcomer, what <laughs> am I overcoming? The world and its worldly systems, its patterns, because I have overcome. Now I have the ability, ability to obey God's commands. Obedience is the thrust of the matter. We can sing about overcoming. We can preach about overcoming. We can talk about overcoming. But if you're not walking in obedience to God, you are not overcoming. You are defeated already because obedience puts you under the shadow of his overcoming victory. But we have to walk in his obedience. We overcome worldliness. Anything in this present time, listen, 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 listen to this. Worldliness. Anything in this present temporal and tangible environment that hinders or interrupts the liberty that Christ has given me. We overcome Satan's attacks 
his pressures, his deception, his agents against our lives. As overcomers, we resist him and he must flee. As overcomers, we pass from curse into the Abrahamic blessings. As overcomers, we have overcome the final death. We have overcome darkness. We have overcome fear. We have overcome demonic strongholds and any condemnation whatsoever. We have overcome. Let me tell you, I could say this, <laughs> but there got to come a time when you believe it. You don't believe it based on what you feel. You believe it based on what he said. There are times that what you see and what you read don't add up. That what I'm seeing, I'm, I'm reading it and it doesn't add up to what I'm seeing. I gotta go, be, 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 I gotta be with what God said, go over what I read, over what more than what I am experiencing. What we do is we allow our experience to trump what God said. But God said, no, 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 that's not faith. Faith says it doesn't matter what I see, it doesn't matter what I feel, it doesn't matter what I heard, I'm going according to what God said. He's the truth personified. Above him there is no other. He's the first and the last. So whatever he said, that's what I'm going to walk with. Whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Who? And then finally, Jesus. How do we overcome? Oh, man. What time is it? How do we overcome? Revelation 12, 11 says, see, I, I got to preach this, you know, because we got to be victory, victorious, guys. We're living in a final hour. The days are dark. And God is saying, no more mansy pansy word. Give the full word. The authoritative word of God. Let me tell you why preachers struggle. I'm just going to be real with y'all. We struggle because of the clock. I'm going to tell you why the clock is an issue. People's attention span is not like what it was. So by the time it starts getting... You start getting, uh, you start twisting in your seat. You start thinking about the chicken. You start, you know, before I could say amen, the doors are in the back are already opening. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you like what it is. What we see from up here, right, Pastor Kevin? Y'all already, you, you got the bag. And then this is what you're gonna do. While the preacher is preaching about this heavy stuff, you're gonna do one of these. This, I don't know where it started, but for those of you that weren't raised in probably the black church experience, this means I, I, I love you, Lord. I respect the preacher, but I gotta go. Okay? So when you see somebody do that's what that's what they mean. But we aren't overcoming. So we got to shut down the time and get the word of God in our system. We got to let the chicken sit. We got to let the pot roast sit because the word of God got to be anchored in our lives so we can walk out in his truth and be victorious conquerors. Amen. All right. So how do we overcome? I promise you this is the last point. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. The cross, the cross, saints, the blood of the lamb, we overcome him by these three things. Number one is the cross. 
What happened over 2,000 years ago is relevant for us today. The blood not only worked 2,000 years ago, it works in our lives today. Christ's work on the cross affects the decisions that I make in my life today. The cross is my point of reference. Who died, why he died, and what does it mean for me today? The blood of the lamb redeemed me from Satan's hold. It affords me forgiveness. It makes me righteous before God as if I have never sinned. I am part holy because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. I now have access into the presence of God. What makes that available? The cross cross of Jesus Christ. The lamb that was slain for me. The blood that dripped on Calvary's brow. That poured from that hill and it runs to mankind to this very day. That blood has not lost its power. I know some people don't like talking about the blood but it's the blood in which I get the victory. I can't help but talk about the blood of Jesus because I'm washed by his blood. I'm purged by his blood. I'm cleansed by his blood. I make no apologies for the blood of Christ that was slain for you and for me. So the cross. The next thing is confession. This is how we overcome the cross, the blood. The next one is confession. What is confession? The word of their testimony. You cannot be a secret undercover Christian. There are no covert Christians. Oh, come on, somebody. No, 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 no. You cannot claim the benefit of his victory, but deny him publicly. You cannot claim part-time victory, and you want a full-time victory for part-time proclaiming. And if you use the name of God, that doesn't work to camouflage what you believe. It won't cut it because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is by his name that we are saved. It is by his name that we get forgiveness of sins. Everything has been placed under his feet and his enemies is his footstool. So therefore, it's our footstool. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was on of our peace was on his shoulders and by his stripes not Muhammad's stripes not Buddha's stripes not man's stripes by the stripes of Jesus Christ we are healed in Jesus name. This is our confession. We are overcomers. My identity is in the risen Christ by the word of our testimony and then finally commitment Whew. there's a love relationship that transcends life most parents are willing to give their lives for their kids most spouses will be willing maybe to give their lives for their spouse so at the human level we know what it is to sacrifice life for love Paul said I die daily Whew. I died of my will. We're talking about commitment. I died of my wants. I died of my desires. I died of my pride. I died to my selfishness. I died daily. As a matter of fact, he said to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, oh King Agrippa, if you want to kill me, I'm going to Christ. If you let me live, I'm going to talk about Christ. So either way, it's a win-win situation. If I stay here, I'm going to serve him. If I die, I'm going to go be with him. It's in him that I live.
have made this commitment your commitment, you're positioned to experience his glory. John says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. If you have not placed faith and trust in him, you cannot experience this assurance. His peace, his confidence, answered prayers, assurance of victory. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. I'm not going to kick the door open. Anyone who opens, I will come in and sup with him. What door? The doors of our hearts. Have you opened it to the man Jesus Christ? Is the risen crazed Savior Lord of your life? He says, it's with your mouth you confess and with your heart you believe. You know what? I would say, repeat after me. I'm not going to do that. I didn't see it in scripture. If you believe with your mouth, with your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, and confess with your heart, with your mouth, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You got to make that decision for yourself. Across the airways, in this room, I got to come to a determination. Do I want this Lord, my Lord? Do I want this Christ to be the Christ over my life? Am I yielding to him? Am I subjecting myself to him? I got to make a decision to make him the Lord and Savior of my life so that I can walk in victory. And those who have already made Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, made that confession of faith, how are you doing? How is your victory coming along? Are you walking around defeated? Are you making defeated proclamations come out of your mouth? Do you know who you are in Christ as sons and daughters of God? Then we have to start operating from that place. Listen, it's not just a Sunday thing. This thing has to show up at work with that gripey boss. It shows up in your marriage when there's a conflict. It shows up while raising your children. It shows up while having a financial crisis or a health crisis. This thing about Jesus is every day for the rest of my days. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. I pray that you would make him in this moment Lord and Savior of your life. And in so doing, we will render the enemy defeated because his bullets, there are none. His gun is empty. It's blanks. He moves around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. He operates like a roaring lion. There's only one true lion, church, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the risen Lord. Through Jesus, you have victory. Victory over your emotions, victory over your depression, victory over anxiety, victory over addiction. Maybe you're tired and you felt like giving up, but today you realize that I am a conqueror through Jesus Christ. His love for me, what he gave for me, he raised for me. My focus is on the cross of Calvary. Just declare, my victory is settled. Decide in your heart, I am in Christ. I am victorious. It's not based on what I feel. It's based on what he has said. Why? Because I serve the one whose eyes are like fire. He's my deliverer. He's my conqueror. He delivers me and he sets me free. 
If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.